Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Okay, let's make our confession as we go before the Lord today. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly proclaim. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, the incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God. And I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Look with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, I believe. Maybe chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, let me get there as well. And let me sort of bring us up to speed to where we're at today. I've got some stuff I want to share with you today. It's been on my heart this week for sure. And I want to bless us with it today. As the Lord's given it to me, I want to so give it to you. And so... We've been talking about habits of the good life, and we're going to read our verse in just a few moments here from Ephesians 2 and verse 10. But we've been talking about habits of good life, things that you can do that will keep your life good, things that you can do not just one time, but you do by habit. You do it consistently. You do it again, 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 and again. And as you do that, there is a compilation of all of that that adds together that shapes your character, it shapes your nature, it shapes who you are. You can apply this to any area of your life, whatever it might would be. Think about it. If you made a decision tomorrow that you were going to do something about your physical health in the area of exercise, and you started in exercising one day and laid out a plan of exercise, that one day probably not going to do a whole lot for you except make you sore at the end of the day. Let you know how much those muscles haven't been moved, and they're sort of going to rebel against you a little little bit and that kind of thing but you got to go back the next day and then the next and the next and as you get into the routine of that that exercise that you're doing will change the physical structure of your body you can do that in a lot of things in your life you can do that in saving investing in finances when you sit down just writing out a budget won't help you at all but you got to put that budget into force in your life saying that you're going to save and you're going to invest and, you know and doing it one time uh, that's a start but that's not what would make you rich in life. What's going to make you rich is you do it again and again and again and again. Dave Ramsey teaches it like this, that it is hard, and I agree with him, it is hard not to become a millionaire if you will have a, a consistent plan of saving and investing in your life. Imagine if you start as a, a young person, as you begin to working and that kind of thing in life, and you just take a portion of all of your income and begin to save it. When you put that first little bit uh, in a savings vehicle, whatever that might would be, that you would use and you put that little small chump change we might call it uh, in there and you see it and it doesn't look like much at all it really doesn't but as you can do that consistently again and again and again and again then you see it begin to mount and begin to grow and then it begins to enlarge in your life and truly as Dave says it can tr easily make you in America um, where we live for sure and around the world I don't doubt uh, it can truly make you a millionaire very easily by doing that 
And so there's things that you can do in life that you must do consistently. And if you want to live a good life before God Almighty, you have to do things consistently. Not just get into an arena of prayer one time and say, well, you know, life came in and struck me real hard. And you went in and said, oh, God, help me. Help me. Life's caving in on me. I'm hurting. And I understand there, I've been there like that as well. Maybe you have too. But it's not just coming at a one-time crisis event in your life and then crying out to God. No, it's a consistent plan of worship, a consistent plan of praise, a consistent plan of praying and seeking God in your communal life between you and your relationship with Him. As you do that consistently, it builds up. It mounts up up on the inside of you. And the way you don't have to think is, uh, in, in life, oh, I better catch my tongue and not say that. No, you've been catching your tongue along time ago and you've got your place now where your tongue is full of praise and full of worship before God and so you don't have to do that because it's a consistent lifestyle that you have and so there's things like that we talked about filling our life with the word of God we talked about filling our life with prayer two very key things that every one of us need to have consistency or a habit in our life prayer and the word of God we've been talking recently about our witness about our testimony about speaking to others about Jesus how many knows we live in a world where people need Jesus somebody say amen, amen. they do don't they yeah. this world is filled with people that need Jesus I, I read a quote earlier this week by E.W. Kenyon when he talked about it like this, that if people had the good life, if they had the life of eternity that Jesus has given us, we call it Zoe, life eternal of God, if they had eternal life, they wouldn't do some of the things that they do. They wouldn't be involved in sin. There wouldn't be any broken homes. Imagine that. No more broken homes in, in, in America. Wouldn't that be great? Well, well, that would be the case if we had the good life, the eternal life that God has given us. If we had that eternal life, there wouldn't be anybody strung out on dr drugs and dope and speed and mind just blowed and can't concentrate and can't think because of what they've done to themselves. If we had eternal life. And that's what we need. That is the need of our communities. It's the need of our people. It's the need of our nation. It's the need of our world. Let me tell you something. Elections coming up, and it doesn't really matter, you know, uh, uh, in this regard. It matters. We, we need to vote righteously, of course. But I'm not depending upon the next person in office to solve Americans' problems. I'm depending on Jesus Christ to solve Americans' problems. And on him I can depend, and on him I can count on. Amen? Amen? And he's what America needs today. This world needs Jesus now more than ever. Well, you and I are the vehicles, we are the instruments uh, that God has chosen to tell people about Jesus. It's you, it's me. What, what, that song we sung years ago, it's not my brother's, not my sister, but it's me. Oh Lord, what? Standing in the need of prayer? Well, yeah, that's true, I'm sure. But it's also not my brother, not my sister, but it's me that's been called to tell other people about Jesus. That is my calling in life. Every one of us have that calling. We are sent forth. We are commissioned of God. We are authorized of God. We are ambassadors for Him to tell people about Jesus. And so we've been talking about that. We saw that Jesus went out and He preached in the synagogues and the temple. But He also went into the home of Zacchaeus and He witnessed to Him, testified to Him, spoke to Him of eternal life. And Zacchaeus was saved in His home. And so I reminded you of the book that T.L.R. Osborne had written, Soul Winning, next part of it, Out Where the Sinners Are. Not in the church house as such. Anyone in this house doesn't know the Lord, we want you to know the Lord. You came to the right place today, so God bless you. And we believe that God will touch your heart and you will enter into salvation today. But most people, most people don't know, that don't know the Lord, they don't come to church. They don't come to church. Most people that don't know the Lord, they don't crack their Bible. Uh, they're not praying. 
They're not doing a lot of things that uh, we do as Christians. And to reach them, we don't reach them in the doors of the church, but outside the doors of the church, right where they're at. Jesus taught us that. We look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts, and the Bible says that they went from house to house to house to house. And as they went from house to house to house, witnessing, speaking to people about Christ, speaking to people about the resurrection, and Jesus was the Son of God, multitudes, you said, were added to the kingdom of God as they witnessed and then they shared. So we talked about that. We, we talked about that Jesus said it like this. It's not enough just to say, I am a Christian. It's not enough just to tell the world that we are Christians. And we need to do that. Somebody in the house today, if you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. Remember that little song we sung as children? If you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. If you're saved and you know it, and the devil, what it does it like it, whatever. You're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. Somewhere like that. I forgot what it was. And then we really got, you know, a little charismatic. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, and the devil does it like it, whatever the rest of the words are, clap your hands. Okay. But we learned that that's just not for children. That's for we adults. Because I found this out. You know, out in the work environment, people need Jesus. Uh, the employers need Jesus. The employees need Jesus. Businessmen, salesmen, people of all for service, people who do work, they need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus in this life. And it's a great time to witness and to share and testify and share your faith with people. I had an air conditioning problem here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, when I did, I called up the folks that came down to fix the air conditioning. A young man came out. And as he was talking, I said, now, how am I going to, uh, you know, talk to him about Jesus? He's out there. And uh, as I'm thinking about that, he says, you know, the days we live in, it seems like the days that the Bible talked about, isn't it? And he just opened right I, I said, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going to talk to you about that. And got to share my faith with him, and we began uh, to talk about Jesus right there. But, the, but you know, he wasn't in church, and I'm, maybe he goes to church, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know all about that. But uh, maybe he does, I don't know. But he was at my house. Amen. He wasn't in sitting on these pews here. There are people that you meet every day, people that you see every day that desperately need Jesus in their life. Yes, amen. And, and not just because it'll give them a better, I heard this the other day, not just because it'll give them a better life here on planet Earth. Now, I want people to have a better life on planet Earth. I don't want sickness. I don't want disease. I don't want suffering. I don't want poverty. I don't want people doing without. I don't want people lacking. I don't want people depressed, discouraged. I don't want people with mental problems. I don't want any of that going on here on earth. And, and I'm for alleviating all the ills of mankind that you and I are available to alleviate. I'm for every bit of that. But the main reason we witness is we want people to spend a lifetime with Jesus in eternity and not to go to hell. That's it. That's it. Because there is a judgment after this life. And every one of us, the decision we make on planet earth, will determine where we spend our eternity. Amen. That's the decision we're called upon to make. Jesus, for that reason, said, compel them to come in. Tell them it is necessary. Compel means necessitate. In other words, it is necessary. You must do this. Don't you dare let this go out without being done in your life. Don't miss this. You might miss something else, but don't miss this. You can't afford to miss the decision of your life for all eternity. It is necessary. I compel you to come in to the house of God. Amen. We're asking. We're compelling. We're drawing. We're speaking to people to come in to the kingdom of God. 
That's what witnessing is. We saw last week about in the book of Romans several verses and key verses that talked about man's need of salvation, how Jesus supplied that need, met that need, paid that sin price, and paid the sin debt for us. And now what we have to do is not go on the cross for ourselves, not, not to bear our own sins. We can't do that. What we do is we look to Jesus who has bore our sins for us and we receive him as our Lord and our Savior. And at that point, we enter into eternal life. We saw how we believe in our heart, how we confess with our mouth. We begin to see that. Now, look with me in Ephesians chapter 10, and I want to move us to a place this morning of seeing just what we've got here. What we have here on planet earth. Just who you are, who I am, and what we have. And it's the first principle in really understanding this thing that we call salvation. Freedom. Deliverance from our sins. Moving from the old family to the new family. Being set free from that rat, the devil. And brought into the kingdom of his dear son. The Bible teaches us. Moving from darkness to light. What we need to understand is this. You and I. We are a creation of God. All of mankind is. It, it doesn't matter if we were to go over to different countries today and we look at our Chinese brothers and sisters around the world that would be there. And I'm talking about human, humankind, not necessarily Christian, but humankind. Our Chinese brothers and sisters, our Japanese brothers and sisters, people in Australia, New Zealand, South America, different places around our world. Everybody is a creation of God. Amen. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, you are a creation of God. You are a creation of God. If you're online, say, I am a creation of God. I'm doing that AJ thing now. Write it down in the comments. But anyway, we are a creation of God. God has formed us, fashioned us, and made us. Because we are a creation of God, you are of great value. Oh, you are worth something. You are a somebody. We are somebody to God. I mean a whole lot to God. In fact, I say it like this. I am God's world. You are God's world. He gave everything for me, everything for you. You and I are very, very, very valuable to God. Amen. Now, notice in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Who was it that made you? Who was it? God has, hasn't He? God has made you. God has made me. I am the product of God's craft or, or God's engineering or God's production. I am made by God. All of humankind are made by God. All human beings, every one of us, we are God. In fact, everything is. But, of course, I'm emphasizing human beings this morning. We are His workmanship. Notice we are created in Christ Jesus now in the good works. And we've been created to do right things, not wrong things. We've been created for good works, not bad works. We've been created for a good life, not a bad life. And it says here, which God hath preordained or ordained that we should walk in them. God, God's purpose and God's design was that he made human beings, you and I, he created us of great value, worth a tremendous amount, and purpose and design that we should live a righteous life and that we should walk in very good works or very good paths, very good habits as we've been talking about, and just enjoy our life. Amen. God created us to enjoy our life. Now, you know, I know sometimes sinners take things of this world and uh, use it the wrong way. I understand that. 
But there are things, for, for many years of our life, Sheila and I, when we first got saved, we, you know, we didn't go to the, uh, to the beach at all. Later on, as, as we began to think about it, you know, God created that beach. God's the one that made the beach. And I think God made the beach for you and me to enjoy it. Now, are there some people that go to the beach and do wrong things at the beach? Sure there are. But am I going to let them stop me from enjoying what God has made for me? No, I'm not. Now, am I going to participate in the deeds of darkness and evil and wickedness? Of course not. Not going to do that. But I am going to enjoy the things that God has created. And God created a lot of things for us. God created wealth and gold and that kind of stuff. When we were first saved, we were far away from uh, gold, far away from wealth too, but far away from gold. We didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, I only got a wedding band after we'd been married 17 years. Wow. 17 years. Because when we were saved, we were told that wearing of ring was a sin. And so we said, okay, that's fine with us. If it's a sin, good, we'll stay far from it. He didn't care. When we first got saved, we said, whatever you tell us is it, is it. And we dove into it. Whatever, well, they said, we go to church every three times. Well, I said, well, so do I. And I said, what else y'all do? Well, we sing in a choir. Sheila and I were singing in a choir. I said, well, what else y'all do around here? Well, we do this. We do, well, we do that too. We were just very pliable. And people, but, but again, there's some of those things were great things, wonderful acts of obedience. But some of those things weren't so wise that we did. And, and so we made some decisions in our life later on uh, that, uh, you know, we were going to look into the Bible and see what the Bible said about things. And I began to see in the Bible where God talked about, you know, people in there that they had rings and they placed them on their fingers. And, and I saw that we had a crown of gold. So I figured if I could wear a crown of gold, how big that's going to be. Sure, I could wear a little bitty one on my finger if I needed to. And I, I became convinced of that. I've told you the story. I came convinced of that when I first started in seminary. And that was in, in, in 1990 when I first started in seminary. And when I started down there, sad to say, and I was a man, and most people there were men, uh, some people needed to know that I was married, both men and women. So I put on a ring real fast. <laughs> Sheila and I went to service merchandise in Greenville, and we bought us two rings that got crosses on them. And so I want to make it double clear, I'm married to my wife and also to Jesus, too. i tell you what. Amen. Stay away from me. Woo, get back. Get back to where you once belonged. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, we are wonderfully made. And God's created this world for us to enjoy this world. And you and I ought to have the very best that this world has to offer for us. Amen. And we ought not to look at things and say, well, that's just for those you know, wealthy people or those rich people. Like, be careful because you might be one one day. And so that kind of thing. No, God's created everything around here for us to enjoy. Enjoy it the right way. Share it with other people. Bless other people with the blessings that you have. Do all of those good kind of things, but just, just enjoy. Just enjoy the thing. God created you and placed you on this wonderful paradise. Turn with the book of Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you something. And the thing I really want to emphasize, look, look in Genesis chapter 1. And look with me. Let me get to where I need to be here. Genesis chapter 1. And look down about, let me get to Genesis chapter 1. We can look at a lot, but let's look at the creation of man just a little bit here. And I want to sort of pull up my uh, little iPad here and work a little bit out of it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let me get right there, and I'll show you some things. Okay. Genesis 1 and verse 26 is where we're looking. Notice what Scripture says. Now, this is, this is the God's original creation of mankind. The Bible says, and God said, let us make man. In our image. Do you see that word image? Let us make man in our image. 
If I sort of tap my little screen here, it's going to bring up the Hebrew word for image there. It's going to give it to me there, and I'm going to read it. And it means that God made us in his shade, in his resemblance. I resemble God. Amen. You resemble God. We are in his resemblance. If you want to know what God looks like, look at you and me. Because we resemble Him. We are made in His image. Made in His image. We, we have at our home several mirrors in our home. And people give mirrors over the years, different things like that. And we kept a bunch of them. They're just different places. But we've got a mirror there. And I can walk in front of that mirror. And you know what I see? I don't see me. I see the image of me. It's because me is not in the mirror, but my image is in the mirror. And you know what? No matter what I do, if I move my right hand, my image in the mirror moves its right hand. If I move my left, it moves its left. If I tilt my head to the left or tilt my head to the right, it's going to do the same thing. My image, because that image, it looks just like me. Well, God said this. He said he made us in his image. So if you want to know what God looks like, it's like you and me. We're made in his image. Now, he, he zeroes into it a little bit more. If that's not enough, everybody say one. one. Secondly, after our likeness, not only the image of God, but we are in his likeness. Likeness, again, means model or shape. A model or shape. And so I'm in God's image I'm in God's likeness. So if you want to see what God resembles, look at me. If you want to see God's model or shape, look at me. Because I'm made in both of those quantities or qualities of God. His image and His likeness. Now, when God made us, He said this to Adam and Eve. He said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. You are made to have dominion over this earth. Amen. This earth should not control mankind. Amen. You are made to control this world. Amen. When you get up in the morning, you don't say things like, well, I wonder what is life going to do to me today? No, 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 no. We don't say what is life going to do to me today. What we say is, what am I going to do to life today? Amen. Because you and I are in control of this thing. Somebody say amen. amen. We're in charge. We're in control of this thing. Mankind has been given dominion and authority on planet earth. Now notice, let the bad dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, over everything on the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, it doesn't really bring it out at this point in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, but if we go to Genesis chapter 3, we find out that something started creeping on the earth. That serpent, that devil... And he was consigned in the form of the serpent cursed as such, an analogy of the devil being put down to creeping on this earth. And so you and I have authority and dominion over everything on this earth. In Christ Jesus, we have every, uh, dominion over everything under the earth, in the earth, by the power of the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority of the believer that God has given us. And so with that kind of authority and power, we are invested, we have been made. You are valuable to God. Yes. What if, what if we were going into battle 
And we got our warriors, and we placed them in front of us, and we suited them up in all kinds of armament. And, and we gave them just impenetrable things that could not, you know, you couldn't fire into them because they had on the suits that would stop every bullet and stop every gas or every kind of disease that would be thrown at them in, in chemical warfare and that kind of thing. And, and they were just empowered that way. And then we gave them the best of tanks and the best of airplanes and the best of helicopters and the best of weapons that they had. And we just empowered them and gave them everything. And we would send them out to battle. We're, we're going to win some battles when we do something like that. They are very powerful to us. But on the other hand, what if we had someone else over here that uh, didn't have any of that equipment, didn't know anything about technology, didn't have any kind of tanks or airplanes or anything like that, nothing that they could use, and they were there. Who are you going to send into battle? The one that is well-equipped, aren't you? You are well-equipped to take over planet Earth. You and I are well-equipped to run this place. And if you ain't, there ain't nobody left but the devil. Don't let him do it. Somebody say, amen. amen. It's you, it's me. Every single time. Notice what he said, verse 27. For God created man in his own... Three times. Three times. God created man in his own image. In the image, four times. Of God created he them. Male and female created he them. They were made, they were formed, they were fashioned... In the very image of God. You and I are made, formed, fashioned in the image of God. Now, if we look just a little bit more here as I sort of touch into my iPad, we can see in Genesis 5 and verse 3, Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness and after his image and called his name Seth. And so it wasn't that just Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God. They were, but their children were. And their children were. And their children were. And their children were. All the way down to you and me. And now you and I, we're also made in the image and in the likeness of God. That's who we are. I look like God. You look like God. We're made in His image. We are made in His likeness. Scripture tells us in, in Genesis 9, 6, when it talked about this, here's how God took it. He said this, Whoever sheds man's blood, when you kill someone else, by man, not God, but by man shall his blood be shed. Capital punishment. In other words, when someone takes someone else's life unjustly, wrongly, through murder, then men are to rise up in judgment against that person and take their life. That's the law of Genesis 9 verse 6. Why? For in the image of God made he man. In other words, you and I represent God. We resemble Him. We are in His image. And God takes it very, very seriously for someone to touch this image. Amen. We are representatives of God. You could go on and to the, to the New Testament. Look at Romans. Romans chapter 1. One of the great sins that it talks about there of homosexuality is, is mentioned in Romans chapter 1. But it also talks about verse 20. Romans 1 verse 20. For the invisible things of Him, the invisible things of God, things you can't see of God, from the creation of the world. In other words, since the world has been created, the things you could not see about God, didn't know about God, didn't understand about God, didn't comprehend about God, couldn't see, the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are now clearly seen. Why are they clearly seen now? Because the world was created. That's what he just said. From the creation of the world, now we see. Well, what do we see? We see you and me. 
And so now we understand God. How? By seeing you and me. He says, being understood by the things that are made. How many has been made? Say amen. amen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, you can't look at you and me and walk away and say, there's no God. No, 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 no. You're without excuse. I mean, you, you, you are one brick shy of a load. I mean, you know, you, you can't walk away and look at this human body and say somebody didn't create it and somebody didn't make it. You, you can't walk away and, and look at the eye and look at the ear and look at the mouth and look at the body and the blood vessels and the nerves and the bones and the joints and the tendons and all. You, you can't walk away from that and say, oh, that, that just happened. I, I mean, you really need professional help if that's what you would think. Because the Bible says this, you're without an excuse. You don't have an excuse. To look at mankind and look at God's creation, you don't have an excuse. There is a God. It's so easy to see. Somebody say yes. Absolutely. Easy to see. All right. And so you and I have been made in the image of God. We're talking about salvation. So mankind, all of mankind is here made in God's image. Made in God's likeness. That was God's plan. He wanted it to be like Him. He wanted us to be just like Him. He wanted us to have power, authority, dominion, look like Him, act like Him, walk like Him. God has so many good plans for humanity. So many great things that He wants for the children of creation that He has made. Look with me in Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. And look about, let me me get another place here too. Psalms chapter 8. And uh, uh, I'm going to go to another passage of Scripture. But Psalms chapter 8. Look at what the Scripture says in verse 3. Psalms 8, verse 3. When I considered the heavens. Have you ever considered the heavens? I'll tell you an interesting thing to do. Go outside when it gets dark. Hopefully you can see the stars and it's not cloudy. Lay down on the ground. Lay down on the dirt. Lay down on the grass. Lay down on the asphalt, cement, whatever you got. Lay down and look straight up. It's amazing as you look up. And you see all the stars, and some of those stars, of course, we don't understand all of them, but there's some planets up there. There's some galaxies that are up there. There's all kind of things up there. And you can look, and if you sit there, you can sort of see it just barely moving, and you can tell that, you know, that something's going around, and you can see that. You can't look at that and walk away from that and say, you know what, I am my own God. When you look at that, you say, somewhere, someplace, somehow, there is a God. Somebody made and created all of this. And the Bible tells us this. When I considered those heavens and the work of your fingers, God made all of that. He made it. He created it. He spoke it all into existence. Notice what the scripture says. The moon and the stars which you have ordained. God made them, created them, and put them in their proper alignment, ordained them to do exactly what they are now doing. Verse 4. He said, when I considered all that, then I began to consider, well, what is man? Who am I? What am I? Back in the 60s, they said it was a lost generation of people lost in space. People trying to find themselves. I found out earlier in life that whenever I got a part-time job, I found myself a lot quicker than those people that didn't. I found, I mean, I didn't have any of those questions anymore after that. 
When I knew that, hey, here's food. Hmm, okay, food costs money. Okay, how do you get money? You go to get a job. Okay, you get a job, they give you money, get the food. That's how it works. It wasn't that hard. I found myself pretty quickly. But some people have the question, and David brings this up when he says, What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you have visited him. And when I look at all of creation, what are we but a speck in all of this stuff? What are we? He says, For you have made him a little lower, King James Version says, the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. What are you? Just a little bit lower than God. Now, I know my King James Version says angels, but when I double tap that again, of course, it's the word Elohim, which is the word for God, 20,000 times. You have made him a little lower than God. I am just barely a little, not a lot, a little lower than God. You are just a little lower than God. That is the created purpose of who we are. When I looked and I considered man, I found that out. Just a little bit less than God. God. Amen. Now that horse and that dog and that pig and that cat and all these animals that we love so much and all these kind of things around here, all of those are a lot lower than God. A lot lower. But not you. Not you. You're just a little, just a little bit lower than God. In other words, if you've been living a life of, uh, of hardship, a life of defeat and failure, that's not the life you were purposed for. That's not the life you were created for. Amen. If you have a life of perplexities in your mind, of depression and discouragement and, and, and just confusion, that's not the life that you were created for. You've created to be just a little lower than God. Stand up and walk tall. Stand tall before God. Hold your head up high. Recognize who God has made you to be. That is this created purpose that God has created us for. Let, let me read you that. The God's Word translation of verse 3. Psalms 8. You, you read verse 3 in yours. When I look at your heavens, the creation of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is a mortal that you remembered him, the Son of Man, that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than yourself. Amen. You've made him a little lower than you have crowned him with glory and honor. Amen. I've been crowned, you've been crowned with glory and honor. You've made him to have rule. What your hands created. When you look at everything that God has created, you and I have been made to rule over that. We've been made to have dominion over that. That's under your authority. That, that, that's under your responsibility. Notice he says, all the sheep and the cattle, the wild animals, the birds, the fish, whatever swims in the currents of the sea. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name throughout all of the earth. You and I are created to run this place, to be in charge of this place, and be in authority over this place. Think about it like this. What if that you made a wonderful machine, and this machine was about two feet wide, high, and square, and this machine had a crank on the side of it, and you could take this machine, and you could set it down right here, and you could begin to crank it, and you could put in some water in the top, and as you crank it, what would happen as you crank it? It would take that water and metalize it and spit out gold. How many knows that would be one more valuable machine? It would, wouldn't it? What if that same machine, you could take it and you could crank it and you could put it in water again and change the settings on that machine and you could spit out some silver? That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
I don't know what silver goes. I know gold like nineteen hundred something dollars now, so I don't know what silver is. Uh, use a whole lot less, but that'd be pretty good. But and then what if you do it iron? Well, sometimes you need iron to make buildings and steel and stuff like that, so that'd be pretty good too. But what if also you put water and you could turn it and you spit out mud, and it's put out mud? You say, ah, we don't need mud. No, let's let's don't do the mud deal. Some people don't realize you are a wonderful creation of God. And you can put out mud or you can put out gold. You are made. And the mechanism that you are that God has created can do either. You may live a sinful life if you choose. You may live a life that degrades and disrespects human beings and does ill and evil toward your neighbor. You can live a life of wickedness if you want to. It's your life. You can do it if you want. But you can take that same life and you can bring it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you can begin to do good things with your life. You can have good memories and good thoughts and righteous acts and righteous deeds and bless people and love people. Same machine. Same person. Same human being. That really is what salvation is about. Taking this vessel that God has made for Him to live and dwell in and saying yes to Jesus and letting Him transform your life. How many is grateful you saved? Say amen. 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 And David the psalmist said, my, that's what he is. In Psalms 139, verse 14, the psalmist says this, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And my soul knows right well. Somebody say this. Say, I know. What I am. I know what I am. I know what I am. That's what David says. My soul knows what's going on here. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made of God. I am marvelous in His sight. I know what I am. And that's what we need to recognize. We need to recognize who we are in this life. I mean, you know, and it strikes all different ways. I remember when Sheila and I first met in high school. I was 17 and she was 17. I remember when I first seen her. There were, there were a lot of young girls at the high school at that time. And with, you know, a number of those were there, you know, I just said, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? But then when I saw Sheila, Andrew H. Brown came all over me. If you don't know who Andrew H. Brown is. But Andy Brown came over and I just said, Sheila, I said, hey, 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 hey. When I saw Sheila, I said, hello. <laughs> it wasn't a hey, 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 hey. That's another one, good times. Hey, hey, hey. It wasn't that. It was hello. Andrew H. Brand was always after the young ladies. But I had found someone who's fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. You ought to be looking at yourself and introduce yourself to yourself. Amen. And say to yourself, me, hello. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a creation of God. You are somebody. And if you've been living a life a whole lot less than any of that, you know, you, you can change. And I'm not just talking about turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about saying, well, I'm going to put some new habits in my life. Nah, good stuff, good stuff. But that ain't going to make the change that you need. You've got to have Jesus on the inside of you. Your nature has got to change. I get so perplexed with this world that we hear about. And they talk about somebody did this and it was wrong, and they did this was wrong, and they did that was wrong, and they did this wrong. And what's the answer? What's the world's answer? Well, let's make a law that says don't do this. Let's make another rule that says don't do that. And maybe we need to for some of the lawbreakers. You know, got to have some laws for the lawbreakers, the Bible talks. But that's not the real answer. 
The real answer is this, is you've got to change the heart and the nature of human beings. You get that change, you won't have to be looking at every nitpick little law, trying to say, well, you shouldn't have did that, you know, that kind of thing. No, the nature will change, and by nature, we'll begin doing right things before God. And that's what salvation is all about. That's what it's all about. So, so, so look with me. Let's, let's go on a little bit further. Look, look in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2. Here's what happened. God made us and he set us up. We were set up for success. Yes. I, I've been set up. Somebody said, they set you up for that, didn't they? Yes. We said that in a bad way. Well, I've been set up for success. Yes. We have been set up for success. Set up for victory. Created for victory. Created to win. I, I, I know I've read many people's life stories, and I've seen some of them that said, destined to lose. Well, I was destined to win. No matter what kind of life you and I have, we came up, and what kind of life maybe we now have, we are destined to win. God has created us to have victory in this life. We are overcomers in this life. Look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter. Here's, here's the deal. Here is the problem. Here's what happened. Here's the problem. God created man, formed and fashioned, gave him a great paradise to live in, gave help meet. I mean, everything was going good. It was going great. As long as they were doing it God's way, it was wonderful. They had everything. Who was the richest person ever lived? Adam. Amen. He owned it all. Everything. He was in charge of everything. They didn't have one need or necessity. It was all provided for them. God had given them everything they needed. And he also gave them something they needed because he gave them a warning. He gave them a warning. All this paradise, all this wealth, all this riches, all this health, all this strength, all this blessings of life, all this mental stability that you have, all this happiness, all this joy. Be careful. Here's a warning. You don't want to lose it. Here's what he said. Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man. Again, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. When you come to the air of dealing with your heart and your soul and eternity, well, we'd like to see you born again. Well, we would like to see you born again. But you better get born again. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your soul for all eternity. And so you better get born again. You better quit playing around. But quit playing around with religion, playing around with church, playing around with God. This is a serious matter. God commanded the man. Here's the deal. Saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Notice what has happened. Now, now get your thinking structured properly. He has made Adam and Eve. They are on planet earth. At this time, they are not made to live forever. There is a plan for them to live forever. It's called the tree of life on planet earth. But at this time, they're not. And he says to them this. He says to them, you may eat of every tree of the garden. In other words, go ahead and eat of that tree of life that will cause you to live forever. You can do it. It was freely given to them. But they hadn't done it yet. And so he said in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. Shall, strongest word in the English language. You shall not eat of it. He didn't say, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I wish you wouldn't eat of it. He didn't say, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it'd be best if you didn't eat of it. He didn't say, you know, if you, this tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, you know, it'd be a quality decision for you not ill, although it would be, that you didn't eat of it. No, he commanded them, you shall not eat of it. 
Let me tell you something. When you see God say you shall not, why don't you just walk away from it? Just walk away from it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to reason about it. Uh, you, don't have to be, you don't have to mess with it anymore. Just walk away from it. Once God said, don't do it, then don't do it. Somebody says, don't you want to know why? It doesn't matter. I might learn why one day. might not. don't matter to me. But once he then said, you shall not, then we shall not. Amen? God says you shall not. We say we shall not. Just walk. Why? Why do we do that? You say, well, you want to be just overlorded by God telling you what to do? No, here's the deal. God loves me. And if he tells me I shall not do something, it's for my own good. And if God tells you you shall not, it's for your own good. That's why he told you. It's for your good. And that's what he's showing you. This very principle I just mentioned is right here. He said that you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Here's the why. Here's the why it's for your good. Because when you do, you're going to die. Now, we've talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. So I'm not going to go into detail about it. But we understand what he's talking about by death. Three deaths in Scripture, remember? Three deaths in Scripture. Physical death, separation of soul and spirit from the body. The body's dead. Then there's also spiritual death, separated of your spirit and soul from God. And you're dead in your sins, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And then we also learn in Revelation chapter 20 that there is second death. means that when that body and that spirit that you are separated from God dies that way, then it goes from this death on this earth, which may be temporary spiritual. You can say yes to Jesus. But once dead, then it's eternal death. And the Bible calls that the second death, second spiritual death, which lasts for eternity, the three deaths. And when he tells Adam this, if you don't want to be separated from me, don't eat of that tree. Because when you get eat of that tree, you're going to die. You're going to die spiritually. Same way we talk about Christ on the cross when sin came on him. Then they had that spiritual death when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because the sins of the world were on Christ. And that brought about spiritual separation from God on the cross. And so here's the same way to Adam and Eve. Don't do it. Don't do it. Sin will separate you from God. We call it death. It will separate you from God. Don't do it. He's told not to do it. It's the word that is given. God has given us a command, a word, that if we obey it and follow it, there is great blessing. If we disregard it and we rebel against it, there is great cursing in this earth. And we can go either way. You and I just have that choice. We're just right in the middle. We've been given this wonderful thing called free will that you see being displayed here as God talks to Adam and Eve. This wonderful thing called free will where you have the right to choose. I got the right to choose. It's the most powerful thing you've got is the right to choose. You had it when you were born. You'll have it all the way until you leave this earth. You have the right to choose. Now then, notice what happens. You know the story. We're not going to detail it. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, we have another word. So you always have this choice in life. You've got one word from God. Now you're going to have another word from the devil. The serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. And see, that's where we're at in today's world. We're in a world today where God has spoken. We're in a world today where the devil has spoken. Men are in the middle, and they can believe either God or the devil. We, we can believe. We can take any issues. And, and, you know, different issues that we want to take. I like to take big issues that we face here in America, different kind of things. Uh, we, we can say where, where God says this, you know, and, and he talks about that in life, drunkenness, the drunkard will not inherit eternal life. What Scripture clearly says, First Timothy chapter 6. And so we, we, we can look at that. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, drunk children does not inherit eternal life. Or we can listen to the world say there's nothing wrong with it. That's your choices. 
Any way you want to go, I mean, you can go either one. But we've got two choices that, that the Bible gives us. Well, we, we, we can look in Scripture, and, and we can tell uh, in the area of uh, abortion. Uh, we can read in Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not kill. Or we can say what the world says. It's our right. We can if we want to. You've you got two different choices. You can make either choice you want to make. We, we've got, you know, in the world where, where the Bible teaches us that, that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. We've got the world says it can be two men, two women, two dogs, five cats, and seven brothers. It doesn't matter. So you've got what God says and you've got the world says. You can make your choice. You're in the middle. The choice you make depends on the life you have here on earth and the life you have when you leave planet earth. That's where we're at, right in the middle. Somebody says, well, I don't understand this. And really, there's different mindsets. There are different mindsets in this world. It is the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard in my life. I was looking at some reviews this week of, uh, of someone, a reporter who was on college campuses now. College campuses. And he were asking people, uh, this particular reporter, asking people about this person, this person, that person, and, and who was the best person and who was the worst person in the world. And he had a picture of Jesus. He had a picture of Stalin, a picture of Hitler, a picture of Bill Gates. <laughs> Just different, five different pictures that he had. And said, you put them in the order, best and the worst. And it's amazing how many people didn't know who Hitler was. You're dealing in a world where people don't know who Hitler are, and, and, and those people get to vote? You're talking about scary. That's scary, isn't it? One of them even said, who's Jesus? I mean, they were as serious as they could be. Didn't know who Jesus was. So, okay, I guess he's pretty good. Put him number three and put Bill Gates over top of Jesus. Because they thought Bill Gates had more money than Jesus did. I mean, you know, just... This is the world we live in. And so what has got to happen is the church has got to preach the gospel that there are rights and there are wrongs, and the choices you make and I make will determine our eternal destiny. And we've got to be told a lot of things in the church. We need some good, solid, sound doctrine that righteousness is right and sinfulness is wrong. Amen? The world don't know anything about that. Ask them, ask them, did they believe in heaven and hell? No, I don't guess so. I don't know. I ain't never thought about it. Did not have enough exposure to Christianity to even know who Jesus was or, or know who Hitler was in the world. Didn't know. And so the thing is, we, we have got to learn that there are two choices. God's giving his word and the devil's giving his word. And the devil wants to cloud it. He wants to make it look different. He don't want it to look bad. He don't want to show you the final outcome. He just wants to show you enough to get you onto his side. And so they have Adam and Eve have got a choice. God said, don't eat of it. The devil said, it's okay. And that's every one of our basic choices in life. God said this, the devil said that. If you can narrow everything down to that, and then determine which, which one is God speaking to you and which one is the devil speaking to you, then you can make good decisions in life. Or you can make bad ones if you want to, if you just don't care. You can make bad ones. But that's their choice. And here's what it is that's going to get them thrown out of the garden. It's making a decision on that choice. Look what Scripture says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good to the eyes. A tree that was desired to make one wise. I mean, this fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil is 
appealing to the flesh of man and to the soul of man. It's what you can be, what you are, how you can feel. That's where the appealing is coming from. And then when she sees all of this, regardless of what God said, she took the fruit thereof and she ate. She did what God told her not to do. So somebody tell me, what's going to happen to her once she did what God told her not to do? She's going to what? Die. And gave also unto her husband... Notice these big words because we like to, you know, blame it all on Eve. She's got her responsibility, absolutely. But her husband with her. He's right there with her. They're both there. Listen to, listen to this lie of the devil. They're both there listening to what he has to say. There is a difference in their understanding. The Bible tells in the book of Timothy that the woman is deceived, but the man is not. He makes a voluntary choice knowing exactly what he's going to do. Knowing exactly what the penalty is. And does it anyway. We call that rebellion. Rebellion. Knew exactly the wrong and did it anyway. The woman was thinking, well, maybe the devil's right. And did it anyway. Adam knows better. And does it anyway. They both sinned. Now notice verse 11. Genesis chapter 3 verse 11. The Bible says, and he said... Who told you when God shows up? Who told you that you were naked? Because what has happened? Immediately after they sin, what do they do? They run and they hide. And that's what sin does. Look, look at it. Look, let me make sure I get there. Uh, look at verse uh, 6 where I'm at. I don't want to skip that like I just did. Look, notice verse 7. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and aprons, uh, or made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God, verse 8, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Hid themselves. Sinners don't, when we're talking about out where sinners are, sinners don't want to come to church. You want to hide from the righteous. And remember, the Bible, New Testament talks about us. You know what we are? You know what you are? We are the saints of God. I know a lot of the church want to say just a bunch of sinners sitting here and no different than the world, just one's forgiven, one ain't. But we're all a bunch of sinners. No, the New Testament understanding of what we are after we are born again, we are saints of God. Amen. Everybody say, I am, I am. A, saint a saint of God. We are saints of God. God has made us holy and we are saints of God. Notice they hide. They hide from God. And that's what sinners want to do. They want to hide. And what we have to do is go find where they're hiding and compel them to come in to the kingdom of God. Find where they are stove up at. Find where they are covered up at, where we can't see them and can't find them. They are hiding, hiding from God. And they would just like, sinners would just like for you not to have a church. And certainly, we don't want you to have a church, and we don't want you to have prayer, and we don't want you to have it in school. We don't want you reading the Bible in school. We don't, we don't want you doing a lot of things in our educational facilities. We don't want you to do it at work. We don't want you to do it in the marketplace. If you've got to do this thing you call religion, then lock you up in a house behind some closed doors somewhere, practice religion, and right now we're saying, we don't even want you doing that anymore. We're going to shut your church down, and you can't go to church till we tell you you can go to church. That's what we're facing right now. Have you been following the news article of John MacArthur? John MacArthur out in California, who said, you know, they've been shut down long enough, they're going to open their church back up. They're going to open it back up. They've been shut down long enough, they're going to open it back up. Now, John MacArthur, I, I think he's a, a Christian man, and we have some extreme differences, he and I. And, uh, but I, I give him praise and glory for what he has done. He says, we're going back to church. 
that the government does not have the right to close the doors on our church. Amen. Well, what happened was, you get sued, of course. And they went, went to court, and the, one of the lower courts ruled just a couple days ago, said they may worship. Amen. Isn't that great? Somebody say amen. amen. Until last night about 9 o'clock, it came across the wire. A court above them said, no, you may not. John MacArthur replied, I've heard from both of those courts, but I've also heard from the highest court in the land. And God said we can. And they did. This morning, praise the Lord, I believe they're going to. You see, there's, are there some health concerns and all this other stuff you might look at? Maybe so. You, you can think about that, and I'll let y'all handle all that. But I know behind a whole lot of this stuff is people that are attacking the church and attacking Christianity. Why? Because they want to hide, and now they want to hide us and do away with us. But we ain't going away. Somebody say amen. No, to the contrary, we're taking over this place. Not backing up, plunging, charging forward. In the name of Jesus, amen? Well, what happens when they, when they sin? You know what the story is. What, what happened? They ate. They did what they were not supposed to do. And the Bible says that God threw them out. Look what it said in Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said, verse 22, The Lord, the man has become a one of us, and to know good and evil. Now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and live forever. In other words, let's don't let him do that. What is it now? He's a sinner. He's in rebellion. And God says, I don't want him to live forever like that. That was a compassionate thing of God throwing him out of the garden. That was very compassionate. That was very loving. That was very kind. And you know what? My dad and mom and throughout my life gave me spankings. That was very kind of them to do that. That was very compassionate. That was the right thing to do to tell me I was going the wrong way and I better not go that wrong way and I better straighten up and do right. That was a good thing to do. Amen? Amen. I know the world thinks a little bit differently, but I turned out okay. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say amen. 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 Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Amen. And so what does God do? He says, lest that happen. Verse 23. And the Lord God went forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground. Put him out. Till the ground from which you've been taken. Go out and you go to work now. Get out here. And you're going to find out that this earth that you're going out to has been cursed. And where it used to bring forth in so much abundance, we're slacking that up a little bit. Going to be a little bit tougher to get this earth to bring forth. I'm going to give you something to do with your spare time that you had. I'm going to give you something to do. And it takes a little bit more effort, a little bit more work. But even at that, even in this cursed earth, there's still 30, 60, and 100 fold that can be brought forth. Even, my, I think when the curse is lifted. Oh, my, my, good Lord. And verse 24, he drove them out. Notice that he drove them out. He didn't say, I think you'd be best if you leave. He threw them out. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out. Like in the nightclubs they used to play in, they used to say this. They said, nightclub's closed. They said, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. And God told them, you can't stay here. Get out. Get out. You got to make, make an understanding with God. You ain't going to walk in the blessings of God full of sin in your life. Amen. You're not. You're not entering into heaven full of sin in your life. You're not. You're not. You better get that sin question taken care of here on planet earth under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because now's the time for you to do it. Now's the time. He drove them out and he put a cherub at the gate there to keep the way. And now nobody knows where this is at. Notice what he said, verse 24. Read it very carefully. Cherubim's 
a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Keep the way of the tree of life. Turn me all the way to the book of Revelation. Keep the way of the tree of life. I'm not letting you back in because you might eat of this tree of life and live forever. So he, he locked it up, battened it down, tightened down the gate, put a chair about there. Ain't nobody coming past that chair. Ain't nobody even knows where the Garden of Eden is, was, or, you know, what's going on. Nobody knows where that tree of life is on planet Earth in the natural. But we do know. Because we can look in the book of Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter, and we can find out how it is that you can have this eternal life and live forever. Because the Bible says that God is going to make this tree available one more time. One more time. And in Revelation chapter 22, the thing that gets you back into the garden, back to partake of the tree of life, is the thing that got you thrown out of the garden and the thing that got you where you couldn't take of the tree of life. It was disobedience that got you throughout. It is obedience that it gets you back in. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do His commandments. See that? Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. It was disobedience to God that got them throughout. It's obedience that it gets you back in. That's the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in a nutshell. You see, it's making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. The only way you're going to be able to obey is for Jesus to be Lord of your life and for him to give you power. And and, and the, the, the sign that Jesus is Lord of your life is your obedience. It's not obedience to good quality decisions that makes you saved. That doesn't happen that way. But what it is, is when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, He gives you the power to obey. And then you see the results of Jesus' Lordship in your life, which is your obedience. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 6, 7, and 8, several times, to whom servants you yield yourself to obey, His servant you are whether it be unto unrighteousness or whether it be unto righteousness. And so our obedience reflects what God has done in our life, that Jesus has become Lord. And that's the decision people have to make in this life, saying yes to Jesus, I want back in the garden. Yes to Jesus, I want the God kind of life. And no to the devil. I don't want his life. I don't want his world. I don't want anything that's got to do with the devil. The only one thing I want to see of the devil is his backside running that away. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because the Bible says resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. So how you get him running that way? You resist him. What is that? Another way of saying obedience to God. Obedience to God is resistance of the devil. Obedience to the devil is resistance of God. I mean, it's it's on the same understanding, very easy to understand. And so we recognize and we see what it is. Here's the base of salvation. God has made us. He loves us. We're greatly created individuals. He's got a great life plan for us. And it's our choice whether we want to live it or not. How many is going to live it? Say amen. Stand with me this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's all bow our heads as we go before the Lord in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just bow our heads, everybody, reverently, quietly before the Lord this morning.
I want to make sure today, as we close this time out with prayer, that you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm talking to you that if you're in this church, I'm talking to you if you're visiting with us online and watching us online, I'm talking to all of you. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, that is a starting place for you. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, that is what you need to do to get out of the devil's world, out of the devil's plans for your life, and to secure your eternal righteousness with God throughout all time and eternity. You need Jesus in your life. You need him to be Lord of your life. If in our service this morning, when our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're reverently standing before God today. If you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation and you would like for me to pray with you, I would be happy to do that. And if you're here today or if you're online today listening, either way, and you're not sure of your salvation and you need me to pray with you today in the service today, if you want to slip your hand up, say, Pastor, when you pray, please pray for me. Anywhere in the service. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front this morning. I'm ask you right where you're at. We'll pray with anyone in the service today. You don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you want to accept him today. Are you in the service today and you've known the Lord and you've walked away from him or whatever you want to call it, but things just aren't right between you and God and you need to make them right and you say, Pastor, please, would you pray with me today? Anywhere in the service today? Anyone here today that you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to make sure everything's right between me and God. If you're online and that's you as well, you can bow your head right where you're at and you can pray with me today as we pray together and you can receive Jesus. You can stop obeying the devil and start obeying God. And this is how we do it. We receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I want every one of us to pray together today. Everybody say, Dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for the way that you've made through your son Jesus for me to come back to you. And so, Lord God, I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I make him Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, I'll live for you all the days of my life. I'll walk in obedience to you. I'll give you my love as I receive yours. I want everything you've got, God. I want your spirit. I want your love, your grace, your mercy. And I give you everything I've got. I will follow you all the days of my life. And I give you praise. I give you glory. It is in the name of Jesus that I confess my salvation, that I am born again, that I am saved, living for Jesus. In the name of the Lord, I pray. I say amen, amen, amen. God bless you this morning. Good to see you in the house. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless.